Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Killer, and this is Case 15, Trayvon Martin. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. George Michael Zimmerman was born on October 5, 1982, in Manassas, Virginia, to Gladys and Robert Zimmerman. He's the third of four children, having a brother and two sisters. His mother was born in Peru and also has African ancestry through her maternal grandfather. His father, Robert, is of German descent and a career military officer, having served 22 years, 10 of which he served at the Department of Defense. He also served as a magistrate in Fairfax County's 19th Judicial District, George Zimmerman identifies as as a Hispanic on his voter registration forms and was raised Catholic. His family is known to have been devoutly religious. Zimmerman graduated in 2001 from Osborne High School in Manassas. Shortly after high school, his family moved to Lake Mary, Florida, a suburb of Orlando. While in Orlando, George worked for an insurance agency and took night classes to obtain his license to sell insurance. Zimmerman and an African-American friend opened a satellite office for Allstate Insurance in 2004, but ultimately failed a year later. In 2007, Zimmerman married Shelley Dean. Two years later, the couple moved into a townhouse in the retreat at Twin Lakes Development, located in Sanford, Florida. During this period of time, Zimmerman had held positions at a car dealership and a mortgage audit firm. In 2009, he enrolled in Seminole State College, working on his associate's degree in criminal justice. He also had a few run-ins with law enforcement in 2005. In July of 2005, he was arrested for shoving an undercover alcohol control agent during a friend's arrest for underage drinking. He was 21 at the time. Zimmerman agreed to attend anger management in exchange for a drop in charges. In August of 2005, his ex-fiancee filed a restraining order against him, alleging domestic violence. Zimmerman countered with the same type of restraining order against her, and both were granted. Trayvon Martin was born on February 5, 1995 to Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin. His parents divorced in 1999 at the age of four. His mother was a program coordinator for the Miami-Dade Housing Authority, and his father was a truck driver. 
The couple lived near each other in Miami Gardens following their divorce. Martin had an older brother, Javaris. Trayvon's father, Tracy, remarried to Alicia Stanley. She had two daughters from a previous marriage, and she acted lovingly towards Trayvon, oftentimes taking him to sporting events and helping to care for him just like any other mother would. Trayvon Martin was a typical teenager, enjoying his time playing sports. He was an affectionate child who cared for his family, and he enjoyed performing side jobs. Trayvon began cutting grass, washing cars, and babysitting to make some extra cash while in high school. Trayvon attended Carroll City High School, and by all accounts was reportedly an average student. His football coach stated that Trayvon was one of the best players on their team and had good athletic abilities. Trayvon was a typical child, however. He did run into some minor trouble at school. He was suspended from school three times. It was reported that on one occasion, Trayvon was suspended once for being caught with a burglary tool, which was a flathead screwdriver, and 12 pieces of women's jewelry. On another occasion, he was suspended for skipping school and showing up late to class. Finally, he was suspended for when they found a marijuana pipe and empty bag with traces of marijuana. While it appears that Trayvon did have some issues with authority at times, his family disputes these claims heavily. Another interesting nugget of information that surfaced appeared to be from Trayvon's Twitter account. His account allegedly went by the name No Limit Nigga on his Twitter account. He made references to drug use, ghetto stereotypes, and sex. One alleged Twitter exchange between Trayvon and his cousin may even reference that he struck a bus driver. The tweet reads, You ain't tell me you swung on a bus driver. While we're going through the background of George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin as they head on this collision course for the events that unfold, and most of you are probably well aware of what happens, you know, we wanted to kind of talk about them on their separate journeys to that night. Zimmerman, obviously he had a few run-ins with the law, and, uh, you know, he seems to be like he, he may have some anger issues at times, it seems like. And, and Trayvon just seems to me like, while some of the stuff that I found on his Twitter account and things like that, they're nothing that I would really even consider crazy. It's pretty standard, normal teenager type comments and stuff. I mean, he's way more graphic in a public facing setting than I would be in terms of, you know, like he says a lot of stuff about sex and retweets a lot of accounts that talk about weird things. But, you know, you're a young kid and that stuff's kind of funny, you know, and, and goofy and I don't know. I didn't see anything wrong with what I was reading on his on his Twitter page, right? And by all accounts, to to this point, when we're covering their background, he he sounds like the a typical teenager to me. He's a good athlete. His coach thinks highly of him. You know, he had a couple incidents where you know he they they found the pipe on him in an empty bag with traces of marijuana. That may or may not happen to me when I was younger. I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't see that as a big deal. <laughs> Honestly, I was going to say, you know, so the media in this case takes a huge, they create a huge like aura around him where on one side you have the media who's like Trayvon is like this golden child. And then you have the other side, which tends to be mostly the conservative side, who's like Trayvon is this deviant child. And really the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I'm sure he's a teenager. He probably does do some things that are probably not cool. And he probably does things that are fine. You know, he's a, he's a kid. And I remember being a kid. I mean, I was a, a little shit sometimes. And, uh, but I thought I was, you know, if I look back at it, I think I was a pretty good kid. You know, I had friends who smoked pot from time to time and did things like that. And I never did. Um, I've never done drugs in my life. And I, but, I, you know, I hung out with some kids like that and it was really harmless overall. 
there wasn't a whole lot going on. Yeah, you're, it's your teenage years, you're experimenting with things. And yeah, I would love to have a little bit more information on the quote-unquote burglary tool. I mean, then you... then It, <laughs> it was just a flathead screwdriver. That, and they said that um, there were some break-ins in the area around the time that that stuff was going on. And, you know, if you, why would you just be walking around with a flathead screwdriver in your backpack as a high school kid? You really shouldn't. I mean, there's no real reason to have a screwdriver. It's not like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it was in his backpack for school. It's not like he was you know, a mechanic or something. Right. Uh, there's, there's, to me, there's a lot of different things to look at that though. What if it was something he had in his backpack, you know, for self-defense? He's a teenager. I mean, he, oh yeah. I mean, you're right. It doesn't necessarily mean that, right. you know, it was used maliciously. Yeah. It sort of was all. implied. I guess that's where I was going. But I, I also want to focus just a little bit before we move on, on Zimmerman's background. I'm surprised that they let him off with, you know, pleading to anger management for shoving that alcohol control agent. I don't know what it exactly is an undercover alcohol control agent. Is that like a full-on, full-time police officer? What is that? I was wondering the same thing, but I, I couldn't find much about it. And this was the only reference to this incident I could find. I was trying to make sure I found some some dirt on Zimmerman. Uh, before we got to Trayvon because I knew I had already found some stuff on Trayvon and I wanted to see like, you know, okay, as we're doing this, this build up to these two meeting, like, you know, what kind of trouble is Zimmerman getting into? And that was how it was described. I have no idea what that means. I'm assuming some kind of police officer or something like that, or, or maybe it was a, uh, like a bouncer or something like that. That could be, I, I feel he, he, he probably got a lucky pass there. I mean, even if it, regardless, you know. Usually that something like that ends up in a, some kind of minor assault charge. You can't just plea out to, oh, I have anger management issues. I'm going to go take this class and all is well or whatever. But, you know, the, inter the most interesting part of that as we get down through this story is the him and his uh, ex-fiance filing restraining orders against each other for domestic violence, and both were granted. So he was in a tumultuous relationship, and... You know, maybe there's something to that anger management stuff. Yeah, well, and, you know, he easily could have been, you know, somebody who doesn't do well controlling their anger and rage, and so maybe that's what leads to the events that happen later on. It's hard to say for sure, but it's just, it's definitely an interesting footnote in the story to me. Mm -hmm. Yep, same here. The retreat at Twin Lakes, located in Sanford, Florida, was the home of George Zimmerman. It's a gated community consisting mostly of 1,400-square-foot townhouses, which sold at one time for around $250,000. By February of 2012, the value of the homes were around or below $100,000 due to the financial crisis that occurred in the U.S. during the 2007 to 2008 period. In 2013, prices began to climb back up and reach between $115,000 and $127,000. As the story goes, the neighborhood began construction in 2004. It was marketed as, quote, an oasis where nobody could park a car on the street or paint the house an odd color. In 2008, the company that started developing the land filed for bankruptcy, and a second company took over and finished building the development in 2011. During the Great Recession period, it was reported the gated community began to suffer more crime, specifically a spate of burglaries. This was largely due to the large-scale foreclosures. This led a lot of people to rent their townhomes rather than sell them. 
The neighborhood demographics mirrored the city where they were located. The development was 50% white, 30% Hispanic, and 20% black. In 2010, the community reported 326 crime incidents, which ranged from homicide to burglary. As the shift in resident profiles began to change during the Great Recession, more robberies were reported. Eight robberies were reported between the start of 2011 and February 2012. Residents were frequently reporting suspicious individuals and identifying them as black. In September 2011, Twin Lakes residents decided to form a neighborhood watch program and selected Zimmerman to be the, court, the program coordinator. The Twin Lakes neighborhood was a neighborhood on edge, as residents reportedly called police on a frequent basis reporting several suspicious people lurking around and, and several burglaries that would happen over the year. So what's interesting is that you have uh, this development that it seems like gets hit pretty hard by this Great Recession as it happens, and then you end up with uh, a bit of crime moving into the neighborhood and people start acting a bit strange and you know start questioning what's going on in their neighborhood. It, it kind of starts up the need for a, a neighborhood watch program. And Zimmerman, by all accounts, was basically the person who, th that I read, was the person who kind of was pushing for this neighborhood watch program. And he worked with the police department and they granted the neighborhood watch. You know, they worked in coordination. It wasn't like some vigilante thing that he started. And so it was all done on the up and up. And, uh, you know, they had eight burglaries in a little over a 12-month period. So, I mean, that's like one every like six weeks or so, as long as I'm doing my math right. It's early in the morning, but just about. You're getting close to one every every two months, maybe. Anyway, yeah, so like this neighborhood went from being what seems like it was painted to be like this nice new up-and-coming townhouse development area with nice townhomes that are fairly expensive. And then it turns into this cheap neighborhood where a lot of people start moving in who may barely be able to afford it, but they get in there and then, you know, crime starts happening. That's kind of the way the picture is painted. I think it's still interesting to note. I think it's still re referred to up to this point as a gated community. I'm not sure if that, you know, you know boated that's true a good the whole point. way through. Well, it is a gated community. There's literally a gate at the entrance, but you can walk into it from any which way. <laughs> that, that's the fascinating part of this. It's, it's this, I mean, just basically a loop of townhomes that uh, stretch across the, you know, the area and, and the gate sits at the entrance, but there's no gates on the back end of it. To me, it sounds like it's more of a, of a facade than anything, just something to look at when you come in. It's not really a secured gated community as you, you would think when you read that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've I've looked at a map of it, and so there's like the one gate off the main entrance. It's surrounded by what looks to be a pretty busy, two busy roads. And then, you know, you have the gated community on the inside of these two busy roads. And it's basically like a big giant, it's almost in the shape of a giant square with a bunch of townhomes lined up all around. And then there's like a road that runs in the middle of them you know, on the inside of the square, and then there's more townhomes, and then another road inside the square, and it's not a perfect square, but you know what I mean, just to paint the picture, you know, so you basically have this, like, three different sections of homes, right? You have, like, the outside perimeter, and then you have, like, another inner perimeter where there's a road that borders it, and then another inner perimeter where the road borders it, and then in there, there is a, looks like there's a community center, a pool, and arcade room, and stuff like that that you could go to, but yeah, and most of the townhomes... They are kind of on their own, but there is one section of them where you have 
townhomes where they like face the road on both sides. And then in the middle, there's like a sidewalk that just separates the the row of townhomes. So, you know, you have like a townhome where your front door faces outside, but your backyard faces your neighbor. Then on the other side, their backyard faces them. And then the front door faces out towards the road. I know it's kind of confusing. Um, I'll try and throw a picture of this in the show notes when we publish this episode, but um, just to give you kind of an idea of, of what it looked like. But uh, yeah, it, it was one one main entrance gate, and there's really, I think there's actually two entrance gates, and they're both to the main outside edge of the thing, but you could literally walk between any of the townhouses right into the development. Like, there's no stopping you from, from foot trafficking in there. There's no, it's not like... A, a wall that borders around the outside or anything like that. From my standpoint, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause my father, when he lived in Columbus, the Columbus area, he lived in a community that was almost, it sounds exactly like what you described. There was kind of like a courtyard walking area in the backyard of these townhomes and everybody's backyards faced each other. And it, it, everything was kind of close quarters too. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like you had a fairly decent sized lawn to go out and do anything on. Everything was really confined and they just stacked these places on top of one another. Yeah, that's yeah, same thing here. And these are townhomes, right? So they're they're vertical. So you've got like a downstairs upstairs, fourteen hundred square feet. Um, I don't know if that's like seven hundred and seven hundred. I would assume that's probably the case, where you have seven hundred on the lower level, seven hundred on the upper level. They call it fourteen hundred square feet. And then the and you know, there's like probably, I don't know, four separate living spaces in one building. And then there's a bunch of buildings and there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, there's a lot of people living there. And and again, yeah, it's pretty tight quarters. Yeah. So definitely keep that in mind. That, that plays an interesting part in the story as we get down through it a little further. So now we're going to talk about the, the events that unfolded leading up to the actual uh, incident between Zimmerman and Martin. February 26, 2012. Trayvon Martin entered a 7-Eleven store in Sanford, Florida. He purchased a bag of Skittles and a can of Arizona iced tea. He was wearing a dark gray sweatshirt with his hood pulled up on his head. At approximately 7.09 p.m., Zimmerman, while out on an errand and driving through the neighborhood, called 911 to report a suspicious person. Sanford Police Department, lines being recorded by Sean. Hey, we've had some break-ins in my neighborhood, and there's a real suspicious guy. Uh, it's Retrieview Circle. Um, the best address I can give you is 111 Retrieview Circle. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining, and he's just walking around looking about. Okay, and this guy, is he white, black, or Hispanic? He looks black. Did you see what he was wearing? Yeah, a dark hoodie, like a gray hoodie, and either jeans or sweatpants and white tennis shoes. He's here now. He was just staring. Oh, he's just walking around the area. at all the houses. Okay. Now he's just staring at me. Okay, and so it's 1111 Retrieve You or 111? That's the, that's the clubhouse. That's the clubhouse. Do you know what the, he's near the clubhouse right now? Yeah, now he's coming towards me. Okay. He's got his hand in his waistband. And he's a black male. Okay. How old would you say he looks? He's got a button on his shirt. Late teens. Late teens, okay. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with him. Yeah. He's coming to check me out. He's got something in his hands. I don't know what his deal is. 
Sound okay. Just let me know if he does anything, okay? Over here. Yeah, we got him on the way. Just let me know if this guy does anything else. Okay. These assholes, they always get away. Yeah. When you come to the clubhouse, you come straight in and make a left. Actually, you would go past the clubhouse. Okay, it says on the left-hand side from the clubhouse? No, you go in straight through the entrance, and then you make a left. Uh, yeah, you go straight in. Don't turn and make a left. Shit, he's running. He's running. Which way is he running? Uh, down towards the uh, other entrance of the neighborhood. Okay, which entrance is that that he's heading towards? The back entrance. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. Okay. All right, sir, what is your name? George. He ran. All right, George, what's your last name? Zimmerman. And George, what's the phone number you're calling from? 407-435-2400. All right, George, we do have them on the way. Do you want to meet with the officer when they get out there? Yeah. All right, where are you going to meet with them at? Um, if they come in through the uh, gate... Tell them to go straight past the clubhouse and uh, straight past the clubhouse and make a left. And then they go past the mailboxes. Let's see my truck. Okay, what, what address are you truck. parked in front of? Um, I don't know. It's a cut through, so I don't know the address. Okay, do you live in the area? Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what's your apartment number. number? It's a home. It's 1950. Oh, crap, I don't want to give it all out. I don't know where this kid is. Okay, do you want to just be with him right near the mailboxes, then? Yeah, that's fine. All right, George, I'll let him know to meet you with the out there. Actually, okay? could, you have him, could you have him call me, and I'll tell him where I'm at? Okay, yeah, that's no problem. You need my number, or you got it? Yeah, I, I got it. It's 407 Yeah, you got it. Okay, no problem. I'll let him know to call you when they're in the area. Thanks. You're welcome. Moments after the call to police, an encounter occurred between Trayvon and Zimmerman. Numerous witnesses described hearing some type of loud talking or shouting, and several reportedly heard a gunshot. Police arrived within 5 to 65 seconds of the first shot. When police arrived, they saw Martin lying face down in the grass. For the next several minutes, police attempted to revive Martin by uh, conducting CPR. Firefighters and EMS arrived at 7.27 p.m. to continue their efforts to save Trayvon. However, at 7.30 p.m., he was pronounced dead. Zimmerman had a bloody nose, blood on the back of his head, and his back was wet and soiled from rolling in the grass. The following are some of the 911 calls received following the shooting by members of the development. 911, do you need police, fire, medical? Um, maybe both. I'm not sure. There's just someone screaming outside. Okay, what's the address that they're near? Okay. Okay. And is it a male or a female? It sounds like a male. And you don't know why? I don't know why I think they're yelling help, but I don't know. Just send someone quick. Say, ah. Okay. Does he look hurt? I can't see him. I don't want to go out there. I don't know what's going on. So they're sending. So you think he's yelling help? 
Yes. All right, what is your number? Just gunshots. You just heard gunshots? Yes. How many? Just one. Jimmy, get down. No, come here. Is he no longer running? No one, I don't know. Jeremy, get in here now. Jeremy, get up here. All right, is he right outside? Yeah, pretty much out the back, yeah. Is he in front of it or behind that address? He's behind my house. Okay. Just stay away from the windows. I don't hear him yelling anymore. Do you hear anything? No, I don't because I'm hiding upstairs. There's a, there was a gunshot right outside our house. I mean, you've obviously sent someone already, right? Yes, it's in dispatch. What's your name and phone number? My name is, my phone number is... How do you spell your last name? Okay. All right, do you hear any vehicles leaving or anyone else? Do you hear anything right There's now? There's people yelling out there, but I don't want to go down there, so... Okay, multiple people are yelling now? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, we do have officers on the way. Just call us back if you do hear or see anything else suspicious, like any vehicles leaving or anything like that, okay? Okay. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. 911, do you need police, fire, or medical? Uh, police, I just heard a shot right behind my house. Where at? Uh, they're wrestling right in the back of my porch. You just heard one shot go off? Hey, it was either that or a rock at the at the window or something. I don't know. The guy's yelling help, and I'm not going outside okay. Sanford, Florida. Is that one or two words? Because it's not accepting it. Okay, and you can hear somebody yelling for help? Um, I'm pretty sure the guy's dead out here. Holy shit. Okay, we have several people calling in also. Anything else that you heard? Uh, no. Guy yelling help. Oh, my God. Um, no. There's a guy with a flashlight in the backyard now. Okay. Uh, I think there's flashlights and there's a guy. Okay. I don't know if that's a cop. Oh, my God. Okay, I have several calls. And you just heard, you sure, you, did you hear when you heard voices? It was just one person there's talking, two, right? There's two guys. There's one. There's two guys in the backyard with flashlights. Okay. Um, and there's a black guy down that looks like he's been shot and he's dead. Yeah. Okay. He's laying, and there's multiple people calling right now, I'm thinking. Okay. I have several officers going out there, okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. What is your emergency for police, fire, or medical? Police, please. For what address or location? Um, I'm at, there's someone screaming outside. Is that what you are at? Yeah, that's right. There is a gunshot. Hurry up. Okay. Yeah. Sanford, Florida, 32771. Okay. Do you see anybody? I don't need you to go outside. There's someone screaming. I just heard a gunshot. Okay. Do you see anything? I don't need you to go outside, but do you see anything? Do you hear squealing of tires or anything? No, like, hurry up. They're right outside my house. Okay. Okay, we have police come in emergency, okay? 
Are you in, are you in Sanford? Yes. Okay, and what is your name? I see a place right now. What is your last yes. name? Spell it for me. And how old are you? I'm uh, 30. Okay, and do you, you see the officer? Yeah, but, like, he, I mean, it's behind the houses. It's, like, by the, it's the, it's not the front entrance. It's, like, Oh my God. Near what? Tell me so I can tell them. Um, like, if you're looking at my house, it's behind. It's, like, by my, my back porch. Okay. Coming from behind your house? Yes, like the back porch. Okay. Stay on the line with me and just update me. Did you see anything at all, or you just heard screaming? I was heard screaming and then a gunshot. Okay. Well, we have an officer there. Did you hear any more gunshots since no, you've been on the phone with I, me? But I don't hear any more screaming either. Okay. Just one gunshot you heard? Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, we oh have... God. Hurry up, hurry up. Okay, we have officers out there, okay? If anything yeah. changes, just give us a call back. But we do have several officers there, and one officer is there, Okay. 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 Did I see anything? I'm not sure, ma'am. Um, I'm ju I just show that he's there, and then two other officers are on their way, okay? Okay. If anything changes or you hear any more, give us a call back. But just okay, as right. far as you know, it's coming from behind your house near your back porch area. Yes. When you heard the screaming, did you hear screaming of a female or of a male? Oh, male. Okay, so when you heard screaming, it was a male screaming? Yes. Okay. Okay. And the guy the guy on top had a white T shirt. What do you mean guy on top? Did you see a like, fight? I don't know. I just I looked out my window and there's a guy on top with a white T shirt. A white T shirt? Did you see what kind mm -hmm. of pants? No. Okay. He's on top of what? I couldn't see the other thing. I couldn't see the, the, the person he was on. But he was on top of a person? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is he, the guy with the white T-shirt, did he get up and run? I didn't. I just, I immediately went, went to the phone and called you. Okay. Was he white, black, or Hispanic when you saw couldn't, him? Couldn't, couldn't tell. He was completely dark. Okay. Okay. Well, we have several units in route, Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. There's a lot to unpack there. That first call where you hear the gunshot go off, uh, you can hear the screaming in the background, somebody yelling. I couldn't make out what they were saying, uh, but by all accounts and reports, it was someone yelling help. Um, what was pretty interesting uh as we'll kind of unpack this when we get to the trial portion of this case is that screaming is something where people are trying to identify who the screamer is and you would think that having been in the altercation zimmerman would have said if it was him but i don't know that he ever officially admits to it being him screaming but it, to me it sounds like him um and based on the way that the struggle ensues, I would assume that was him. So what'd you make of that? 
There's definitely a lot to unpack there, like you said. I cannot imagine, you know, living in a community like that and hearing something like that. You know, I've I've been witness to fights and this and that, but I've never seen somebody shoot another person, you know, you know, essentially right in front of me. That's that me either. Y- you can hear the the urgency in a couple of those calls and just the shock from the from those people that lived in that community of what was happening right there, basically right in front of them pretty crazy yeah that one guy and he's like holy shit and i mean you and i both looked at each other and kind of started laughing because i think that would be our reaction you know like he he almost sounded like he was just surprised like he got the best birthday present of all time but i think it was just that moment was like so shocking like that's just what came out of his mouth like i feel like that's how i would have reacted too and that's kind of why i was laughing at that part as i was listening to it was it wasn't about the distress of the situation. It was like just that reaction was so strange. And like you hear the women react and they're like almost in tears. And this dude's just like, holy shit. And uh, I don't don't know. Like, I feel like that's how I would have reacted too. just like so shocked that it didn't even hit you. What just really happened. Like you act inappropriate almost for the moment just because it was like, whoa. Yeah. It's almost like he reacted to something he just saw in a movie. You know, you're sitting there on the couch, you're watching this movie and something just completely catches you out of the blue and you're like, holy shit. That's kind of how I registered to me. And I would have probably reacted the same way. But on the flip side of that, once that it registered what did happen and what was happening outside of my right outside of my house, essentially on the front or back lawn or whatever, I'd have been upstairs hiding like that other lady, <laughs> especially if I heard gunshots. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be standing there looking out the door or looking out the window to see what the hell's going on, especially after a gunshot just went off. Oh, hell no. You're an idiot if you're doing that. Yeah, I would have ran to the back of the house as far away from it as I could have, you know, just in case something else happens. You don't know who's shooting or how many shots are going to happen or if they're going to start shooting at other people. You don't have any clue as to what was going on prior to this. And so all you know is someone was just shot and someone has a gun outside and they're right in your backyard. Exactly. You don't you don't know if they're going to spill into your house, you know, trying to hide. If they're the purpose if they're someone that just murdered somebody, all these houses are around, you know, cops are closing in, you know, put yourself in the 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 shooter's shoes, especially if it's somebody that's looking to do something that they shouldn't have done if it was a murder, right? You're going to be oh, lo- yeah. you're going to be looking yep. for the closest place to hide. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because, you know, the residents don't know that it's somebody who lives in their development. And they don't realize, like, this. Like, nobody knows the details of the situation. So, of course, you're you're kind of on edge because, like you're saying, like, that guy could be going to seek shelter next, like, to hide from the cops as they come. And so, you know, you just want to get away from the situation, make sure your doors are locked. That's probably the first thing I would do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the 911 dispatcher in the one call was kind of driving me a little bit crazy because she's like, kept asking the lady, what did you see? What did you see? And the lady's like, someone was just shot. I'm not going to look outside. I'm not going to stick my head out the window or the door to find out what's going on. I'm only giving you what I heard. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. A lot of these people just heard it go down. They didn't see anything, you know, they heard the gunshot and then they called except for that first call. They call 911 because they can hear people shouting at each other. Which was pretty crazy to think of, like, I don't know, in an area with that many people packed in, like, would you call 911 just from hearing people yell? Because the accounts, as they happen, it's not a very long response time, you know, from the police once Zimmerman calls 911. So 
There's a very short window of time that this happens in, and for someone else to call 911 before a gunshot even happened, like, that's pretty crazy. Um, Like, when you think about it, I don't know that I'd be calling 911 over loud shouting in my neighborhood. And I live in a pretty quiet neighborhood. Yeah, but you put yourself in the shoes of other people that live in a community like that. Everybody is, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody. Like I said, my father lived in a very similar community when I was younger. And you would hear yelling and arguing all the time. People weren't calling 911. It was kind of an expected thing with so many people living in such close quarters. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm saying. Like the person, the first caller in that, in that 911 call is on the phone when you can hear them still yelling at each other. So I don't know what the exact time is between the time that Zimmerman hangs up with 911 the first, you know, from his call and the time that that person places that call, but it all happened before any shooting happens. So I think it's a pretty quick turnaround. And for that neighbor to call 911 that fast, like, I want to know what started it. Because you could instantly hear him screaming for help in the background right away before he shoots. And so it's like, well, like, what happened right before that? Like, what was going on just moments before that made you even do that call? Because I can't imagine. I think I read somewhere the struggle may have lasted maybe 40 seconds tops. And you heard a pretty good portion of that struggle on that call. So, I mean, what was it like right before it happened? Like something had to set that off. You know what I mean? Like I said, if I heard somebody in my development over here yelling, like I live in a development with not very many houses. We all have over an acre of land. So we're all pretty spaced out, right? And it's very quiet. And there's a lot of retirees that live back here. If I heard yelling, I'm not calling the cops because people are yelling outside, even though that's completely abnormal for my development. Like I wouldn't even think to call the cops over screaming. Now, if I heard the gunshot, of course I'd be on the phone in two seconds, but just over yelling, like this person was that quick to dial 911. Like what was going, what was being said that was so bad that they're calling 911. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it wasn't what was said. We heard on Zimmerman's part of that call, the first call there where he called in and was reporting a suspicious person in the neighborhood. And a lot of these communities, I don't know exactly how the, the condos were built or the townhouses were built, but maybe it was somebody that was kind of sitting out on the back deck. Next thing you know, you, you heard in Zimmerman's call him get out of the car, even though he was instructed by the 911 dispatcher to stay in the car. They didn't, he didn't need to pursue this person. Maybe that first call before the shot actually happened lady is sitting out on her back porch and you know he's she sees two people run by zimmerman is probably yelling at the guy to stop you know we've read the accounts that trayvon had his hood up looks suspicious not that that is any indication of he should be chased through the neighborhood you know i don't even know if it was at gunpoint at that at that point in the chase but he's running away because somebody's chasing him and that person's like, what the fuck is going on? I better call 911, right? It's something you don't see every day, not necessarily something she didn't hear. Sure. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, she may have witnessed a little bit of the chasing part at the very beginning. And I want to go back to that. You know, people bring up Trayvon Martin wearing this hoodie and have his hood up. He went and bought Skittles and an Arizona iced tea from the 7-Eleven right before this. He had his hood on then, and he had his hood on when he was walking around. So it's not like he just popped his hood on and started walking around being all suspicious outside. Also, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was rainy that day. So you probably would want to wear your hood. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, you know, there's nothing suspicious about wearing a hoodie and if and having your hood up. Um, so I don't understand. People hang on to that a lot. And I remember early reports in the media that that was being 
portrayed as like him being suspicious and it's like no it's really not suspicious to wear your hood when it's fucking raining outside you're just trying to say that because he's black yeah exactly i mean the media glory glorification of that that part of the story it it really got blown out of proportion and i think i won't won't say got blown out of proportion but i think it it played a lot into the the good the good guy bad guy story of this whole case oh 100 percent, yeah and it's ludicrous to say, oh, that he's obviously a thug. He's got his hood up. He's walking home. It's raining. It's dark. It's likely cold. He's got his hands in his pocket. Zimmerman <laughs> said on the call, oh, he's got his hands in his waistband. But come on, seriously. All kids, teenagers, regardless of race, at some point in time have worn the baggy jeans. So even if he's got his hands in his pocket and he's walking home, it, it could look like he had his hand in his waistband, right? Sure. Or he has his hands in his hoodie pouch and he's just walking with his hands in his hoodie, you know, and knowing now that he and now I know Zimmerman didn't know this part at the time, but so you got to kind of separate that a little bit. But just dissecting this just a little bit here is he was at the 7-Eleven and he bought an Arizona iced tea and some Skittles. The Arizona iced tea is probably in his hoodie pouch as he's walking back home. So he's probably got it in his front little pouch and has his hands in there holding on to it as he's walking down the street or walking through these backyards to get back to uh, his townhome, right? Now, I know Zimmerman doesn't know that, but again, like this is just placing like this paranoia and fear and projecting it onto somebody else. Now, I know there had been some burglaries in the area and stuff, but it was also reported that Trayvon was on the phone with his girlfriend. And I think he... I don't know if he had a headset on or if he was actually on the phone, but you know, he's out walking around just talking on the phone. So I don't know if that's suspicious or not, but supposedly it is. And I'm glad you brought that up and I'm hoping I don't ruin something down when we talk about this further down in the story. I read through it, but I don't remember seeing this, but as the events unfolded and the cops arrived and evidence was gathered, I believe Trayvon's phone was damaged to the point where there was nothing supposedly retrievable from that in the struggle, which I find suspicious. I mean, even if he wasn't on the phone, let's say he was on the phone, Zimmerman's chasing him down. I I wish we had a recording of what Trayvon was talking to his girlfriend about. Maybe he called her because he was freaking out because some dudes chased him in the neighborhood. Well, actually, uh, so a couple of things there. She testifies in court, and we'll talk about that, and she does replay a little bit of their conversation, but it's not a recording, but she kind of talks about it. So we'll wait till we get to that part to to kind of break that down. But yeah, he was on the phone with her before he got to 7-Eleven and after he left 7-Eleven. So he was on the phone with her just talking, and they do talk about Zimmerman. Okay, but where I was going with that, and I won't, I won't allude to anything more or what I assume, but if George Zimmerman was chasing Trayvon, He's talking, let's say he was talking on the phone, or even if it was just in his hoodie pocket, he had already hung up and canceled the call. You would think that when George Zimmerman tackled him, the phone is just going to fling out right in the grass. It's not like they're going to be, even if it's a physical altercation, you're rolling around on the ground, unless you're like directly smashing your fist on the phone, it's not going to be damaged to the point where you can't get anything from it. To me, that sounds suspicious. I mean, I just, something I picked out. Yep. Yeah, well, let's talk about what happens next and Zimmerman's account of the situation, and then we'll play his uh, play some audio from his reenactment of the actual encounter with Trayvon Martin. 
and just see if we can figure out from there kind of maybe where or how the phone got so damaged. The accounts of what happened next are not entirely known, as they are mostly based off of testimony of George Zimmerman. He claimed that Martin had attacked him, hitting him in the nose and knocking him back into the pavement. It was only then in self-defense that Zimmerman shot Martin. After further medical examination, there were no fingerprints found on Zimmerman's gun from Trayvon. Also not found was any DNA under Trayvon's fingernails from Zimmerman. This indicates that there wasn't a prolonged struggle. Zimmerman was transported to the police department where he gave police his clothes for evidence and changed into a pair of clothes brought by his wife. Police declined to arrest Zimmerman due to lack of evidence to prove he didn't act in self-defense. On March 13th, the police did determine that the act could have been avoided completely if Zimmerman had just stayed in his car. It was also determined that Trayvon Martin was, was not determined to necessarily be doing anything criminal. On April 11th, Special Prosecutor Angela Corey announced Zimmerman was being charged with second-degree murder. He was arrested and then released on bail. So we're going to play the reenactment. Uh, this is George Zimmerman takes police back to the complex where they were and kind of walks through exactly what happened that night. So let's take a listen. Right here, right in front of this house. Okay. Right in front of 1460? Yes, sir. All right. And what was he? He was walking in between the buildings? or He was walking like in the grassy area, like up towards, kind of between these two poles. Like I said, it was rainy, and he wasn't, he was just leisurely looking at the house. And, uh, I, like I said, my wife is, I left for the grocery store, and I just felt like something was off about him. Right. So I said, and there's been a history of... Uh, break-ins and that and I called previously about this house right when the police arrived at this house when I called the first time the windows were open and the door was unlocked uh, and the police came and secured it so I said you know what I, it's better to just call and okay. I kept driving I passed him and he was he kept staring at me and staring or looking around uh-huh. to see who else was I don't know why he was looking but did he walk off from there or did he stop there last night he stopped and he 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 like looked around and that's okay. why I, that's what threw me off was it's raining i didn't understand why somebody would be just stopping in the rain, especially you know then it wasn't like he was trying to run to get out of the rain and i had never seen him before didn't look like he was exercising where did he where was he standing at when you when, right he, there, when he stopped right in front of 1460 on the sidewalk or in the grass area okay like about right in front of where the car is yes sir and then you just... You I drove past him. Okay. And I went to the clubhouse. All right. Up here on the right-hand side. And parked up there? Yes, sir. Okay. And what was his... Naturally, you're good. Naturally, he left. He caught up to you up here, or...? Yes. I called the non-emergency line. Mm-hmm. And when I got through, I parked at the clubhouse. All right. And they asked me you know where I was and I told him the clubhouse and I think I gave him the address of the clubhouse. Where'd you park at? Right up here next to that green. I don't All think right. that truck was there but I just pulled up. Okay. In there. So you just pulled in here? Yes sir. And this is where you got out? No. Um, this is where I just stopped to call. To call and then he walked past me and he kept looking at my car and uh, 
still looking at the houses and stuff. So uh, then the uh, dispatcher said, uh, where did he go? What direction did he go in? And I said, I don't know. I lost, because he cut down here and made a right. I guess it's Twin Trees Lane. He made a right in there. And they said, well, what direction did he go in? And I said, I don't know. I can't see him. Okay. And they said, can you get to somewhere to see him? And I said, yeah, I, I can. So I backed out. All right. sign is in, the, in front of the Ford truck. Yes, and I saw him and I saw him walking back that way and then cut through the back of the houses. He looked back and he noticed me and he cut back through the houses. I was still on the phone with Nana. Mm -hmm. Um and then he came back and he started walking up towards the grass and then came down and circled my car. And I told the operator that. He was circling my car. I didn't hear if he said anything. Right. But he had his hand in his waistband. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think I told the operator that. And they said, where are you? And I could not remember the name of the street because mm -hmm. I don't live on this street. Right. Retreat View Circle goes in a oh, circle. Right. And I said, I, I, I don't know. And he goes, we need an address. And I said, I don't know an address. I think I gave them my address. And they said, uh, give us directions to get to you. And I said, if you tell the police to go straight at the clubhouse and make a left, my truck will be there. And again, they asked me where he went, what direction he went in. And I said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then I thought to get out and look for a street sign. Right. So I got out of my car and I started walking. Right. Go ahead. Oh. I didn't see a street sign here, but I knew if I went straight through that that's Retreat View Circle, and I could give him an address, because he said, just give me the address of the house you're in front of, okay. and no address, because these are the back of the houses. So I walked straight through here, and I didn't see him at all. I was walking, and I was still on the phone with me at the non-emergency. Okay. I got about I got to about here and I had a flashlight with me. Okay. The flashlight was dead though. And I looked around and I didn't see anybody. And I told non-emergency, I said, you know what? He's gone. He's not even here. Right. So I still thought I could use their address, so I walked all the way through. I actually walked all the way to the street and I was going to give them this address and they said, well, if he's not there, do you still want a police officer? And I said, yes. And 
they said, do you still want a police officer? And I said, yes. And they said, are you following him? Oh, I'm sorry, back there they said, are you following him? And I said, yes, because I was, you know, in the area. And he said, we don't need you to do that. And I said, okay. So I, that's when I walked straight through here to get the address so that I could meet the police officer. And then they said, uh, I said, he's not here. They said, do you still want him to come? And I said, yes. And they said, where do you want him to come to? And I said, you know what, just tell him me at my truck next to the clubhouse. If you go straight into the clubhouse, it makes a left. I have a Honda Ridge Line, Silver Honda Ridge Line. It's parked right there. I'll meet him right there. So I started walking back. I passed here, I looked, I didn't see anything again, and I was walking back to my truck. And then when I got to right about here, he yelled from behind me to the side. He said, yo, you got a problem? And I turned around, and I said, no, I don't have a problem, man. And he, where was he at? About? He was about there, but he was walking towards me. Okay, so he's coming from this direction here. Yes, sir. I believe, like I said, I was already past that, so I didn't see exactly where he came from. But he was about where. Okay. And I said, no, I don't have a problem. And I went to go grab my cell phone, but my, I left it in a different pocket. And I went, I looked down in my pant pocket, and he said, you got a problem now. And then he was here, and he punched me in the face. Right here? Right as far. Up around here. To be honest, That's fine. I don't remember exactly. That's fine. Um, I think I stumbled, and I, I fell down, and he pushed me down. Somehow he got on top of me. On the grass or on the snow? It was over, more over towards here. I was trying to push him away from me, and then he got on top of me somewhere around here. And uh, that's when I started screaming for help. I started screaming, help, help, as loud as I could. And uh, then is when he grabbed me. I tried to sit up, and that's when he grabbed me by the head and tried to slam my head down. And were you on the, I guess were you on the cement or were you on the No, my body was on the grass. My head was on the cement. Okay, so you're basically facing this way. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, that's as best as I could feel through my jacket. Mm -hmm. was I felt like my body was on us and my head was on the cement, and he just kept slamming and slamming. And uh, I, just, I kept yelling, help, 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 as long as I could. Put his hand on his nose, uh, on my nose, and his other hand on my mouth. He said, "Shut the fuck up." And uh, then I squirming again because all I could think about was when he was hitting my head against. It felt like my head was going to explode, and I thought I was going to lose consciousness. So I tried to squirm so that I could get because he he only had a small portion of my head on the concrete. So I tried to squirm off the concrete, and when I did that, somebody here opened the door. And I said, help me, help me. And they said, I'll call 911. I said, no, help me, I need help. And I don't know what they did, but uh, that's when my jacket had moved up and I had my, my firearm on my right side hit. My jacket moved up and he saw it. I feel like he saw it, he looked at it and he said, you're gonna die tonight, motherfucker. And he reached for it, but he reached, like I felt his arm going down to my side and I grabbed it, and I just grabbed my firearm, and I shot him one time. After you shot him, 
keep on going. What did he say? I got him. He like sat up. So you're, cause you're, you're still in this position here, basically. Yes, you're sir. down here. You shot him, so he's in the grass. Yes, sir. He was on top of me like okay. this. I shot him. And I didn't think I hit him because he sat up. And he said, oh, you got me. You got it. You got me. You got it. Something like that. So I thought he was just saying, I know you have a gun now. I heard it. I'm giving up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I pushed him off me or he fell off me. Either way, I got on top of him and I pushed his arms apart. I said, don't flip him over. I don't remember how I got on top of him. I'm sorry. But I got on his back and I moved his arms apart because when he was smoothly hitting me in the face and the, the head, I thought he had something in his hands. So I just, I moved his hands apart. Uh, so you had him face down then? Yes, face down and I was on his back. And then somebody came with a flashlight and I thought it was a police officer. Mm -hmm. So I said, are you the police? I still had my handgun out and I told him, I said, are you, are you the police? My gun's right here. And he goes, no, no, I'm not. I'm calling the police. And I said, don't call the police. Help me mm -hmm. restrain this guy. And uh, he said, I'm calling the police. I'm calling the police. And I said, I already called. They're on their way. They, they're coming. I need your help. And uh, then's when the police officer uh, came around. I saw the police officer. So I stood up and I holstered my weapon. And he said, who shot him? And I said, I did. And I put my hands up. I said, I did. And I... I don't know if he told me to, I just automatically turned my back to him, and I, sh I lifted my shirt, and I said, my gun's right there, and I told him a few times, I said, my gun's right there, and he goes, okay, I understand, I just need you to keep your hands up, and he uh, put the handcuffs on me, and then he took my firearm from me. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. There's a lot in there um, to dissect. So, you know, Zimmerman's giving his account of the situation and how the events unfolded. So, what what do you think about that? I think we, as we were listening to the to that reenactment, you, you pointed out something that you know I didn't hear the first time through that Zimmerman claims he was the one yelling for help. I, th yeah. I think there's some contradicting accounts there from from Trayvon's family, especially when they listen to the audio where they say it was Trayvon's voice that was yelling for help. So, yeah. And so you get into that courtroom thing, right. Where they're trying to like muddy the waters to some respects, you know, for certain things and where they're trying to prove this person or that person did it to then infer that, you know, so-and-so was bad or good, you know? And so, yeah, to, yeah. I had mentioned, I hadn't read anywhere that they mentioned who, um, who was yelling. And I always felt like listening to the yelling, I thought it was Zimmerman's voice. And then hearing him describe it, he says it was him. What do you think about the authenticity of his account of events? Do you believe him 100% that this is the way that it happened? I don't believe it 100%. And one thing that I picked out of that reenactment and hearing one piece that stood out to me was on the 911 call he 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 told that dispatcher that 
you know, this guy's, he looks suspicious. He, he, he might've been following him slowly in his truck or whatever. And the guy was staring at him as he was doing so right before he took off running. But in that reenactment to the cop, one piece that I picked out there was he said he told the dispatcher that this guy was circling his truck. <laughs> so that that's glaring. That's a glaring difference in what actually he said on the call. And then it sounds like he fabricated that part. because He never mentioned in his actual 911 call that Trayvon was circling his truck. He just said he was staring at him. He looked suspicious. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh shit, he's running. Then that's when you hear the car door open and he takes off and chase. Yeah, it's, uh, there's some things I feel like he fluffed up a little bit in that call to make it sound a little bit more, make Trayvon seem a little bit more aggressive than he probably was. Now I think, I think that Zimmerman was kind of tailing Trayvon a little bit before he called the cops. Trayvon's aware of it. He calls the cops. Then he goes to investigate Trayvon to see what he's doing and asserts himself in this situation. If he never asserts himself in this situation, nothing bad happens this night. Everyone's fine. We're not talking about this. But it seemed like he wanted to be some kind of hero that night. And Trayvon got pissed off about it. You know, he he's being profiled by this guy and kind of stalked by him and probably is feeling a little bit edgy about it. Like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you following me around? You know, get out of here. Mind your business. You know, I'm not doing anything wrong. Leave me alone. Zimmerman's probably very confrontational with him at first, I'm sure. Like, hey, what are you doing? Let me see your hands or, you know, get out of here or, you know, something like that. Like yelling at him, you know, right off the rip. So I think that Trayvon is probably immediately in defense mode as soon as the minute that Zimmerman steps out of his car, you know, he's already been tailing him. He's already on high alert. He even said on his 911 call, I think he sees me. That's a good point. But you said Trayvon might have been pissed and he could have been, you know, exchanging words back. Not that that we heard that, but what if it's just a simple fact that he's walking back to his his uh, place because he lived in the same community as Zimmerman? Or they were just visiting him and his father were visiting his uh, father's fiance, I believe. You got this dude... You have no idea who it is, and he's slow casing you in a truck, following you. Let's not forget Trayvon was a kid. What do we teach our kids to do if somebody's suspicious is following us? You know, is it fear or is it anger? I think it's a little bit of both, but... Oh, yeah, for sure. Once that fear boiled over, then he took off running because he doesn't know who's tailing him. And let's be honest, I'm not, I don't want to stereotype anybody... But we called out that Zimmerman had, he has Hispanic heritage. Could he have looked like a shady dude rolling around in a truck? He doesn't know if he's a gang member or, or who the hell the guy is, right? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. For people to to act like we don't profile each other is absolutely absurd. We profile everything from people to locations to food you're going to eat. You're always profiling and judging things. That's what you're supposed to do. It's part of your... Um, defense mechanism as a human being, you know, you're always assessing the situation. And if you know that there's a group of people that tend to act a certain way in a certain area under certain circumstances, you're probably going to categorize them as such. That doesn't always make it true, but it's something that everybody does. And the fact that we try to pretend like we don't do these things, I mean, obviously we do, and we do them for good reason. 
And, you know, there's definitely, there, there's profiling in a hateful way. And then there's profiling in a way for your safety. You know what I'm saying? There's, there is a difference. There's profiling the situation to try and keep yourself safe. Like, you know, if you're in an unfamiliar area of town and there are people around you and they're acting a little off, you might be heightened, you know, and I've done that before. And it's not even in a black area. It might just be in a normal just like a just normal place right but it's just you're in a heightened state because you've never been there before and so you're you're just kind of on alert for weird people acting shady in general you also might be in an area that's predominantly black and maybe you're from a white area and you go there and then you're also heightened because you're not from the area and you know you stand out like a sore thumb and you just don't want any trouble you know what i'm saying and it's not that you're there to profile people because you think they're bad it's because you know you're in a weird area and you don't know what's around you also hearing things, you know, in the media and the news about certain places and things like you tend to just be on high alert, right? So there are reasons and times that we do profile people, right? I mean, look at the airports now. I mean, we have a whole security system in place because of a, a religious extremist group, you know, and they get profiled and they're the only ones who were hijacking planes at the time, you know, and so it's like, that whole group of people gets profiled because of that now. And is it right? I don't know. But at the same time, I'm not going to say I'm not looking out for those people when I'm flying. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know of a certain group of people to do a certain thing. Of course, you're going to pay attention to it. That's just what it is. It doesn't necessarily mean you're judging everyone you see as bad, though. And that's, I think, the difference. Because... There's situations where I profile all the time, but I don't necessarily view the people as bad. It's more or less me being on heightened alert, and I'm not going to go whip out a gun and start shooting people because I profiled. It's just being trying to assess your situation. I don't know if I'm articulating that very well, but... No, I think you are. I mean, there's the media personification of a lot of this stuff is what puts us in our head. Exactly like what you said, the TSA uh, came about because of what happened on 9 11 and in previous events, you know, there were events of similar nature before that, just not to that magnitude. And to me, it's, it, I don't even know if it's a term, but it's almost like common sense profiling. You, you, you're assessing your situation, seeing what's going on around you. You're doing that in the back of your mind, almost unconsciously because of what's been fed to you and what's been pounded in your head. Yeah. And I would say in Zimmerman's defense, they had had break-ins in this area. They knew that there was shady activity that was going on. And he saw somebody that he probably wasn't familiar with in the development because Trayvon was visiting, um, you know, and he wasn't from the area. So, you know, he's probably looking and going, we've had a lot of burglaries. There's this weird kid walking around that I've never seen before. Um, you know, I can understand where he started and called the cops. I can understand that completely because I would like to say if I was in that situation I may have called the cops because I knew that there were burglaries. Now, had I not known any burglaries had happened and just saw somebody walking around, I probably wouldn't think twice about it. But just knowing that there had been burglaries, and it would have absolutely nothing to do with race. It would have nothing to do with that at all. It would be just more or less knowing the facts that are surrounding you at the time, you know, the details of things that had gone on in the neighborhood. There's a neighborhood that is not too far from where I live, and I get alerts from my security system all the time. Right now, there's a group of people that are walk, going around about 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're breaking into cars and people's driveways. I guarantee you they're a bunch of white kids. I would be profiling people out at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning in that neighborhood. It has nothing to do with race. you know. And so I think 
I don't necessarily know that this was racially motivated on Zimmerman's behalf, but I do know that he was profiling the situation based on the events that were going on in the neighborhood at the time. Now, where he made his mistake was pursuing Trayvon Martin. That was the mistake. Calling the cops because he thought something suspicious was going on, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, I know right now it's a hot-button topic, race, and, and there's definitely a lot of people who are doing things like I saw in the news there was an ap- apartment tenant who called who uh, called out a guy, a black guy and his friend, for trying, and he was white, for trying to go into one of the apartments in his own building. Like, he lived there, and the guy was, like, freaking out on this black dude, like, acting like he didn't live there and, like, he was up to no good. That kind of stuff is completely wrong. But if you know that there's a history of burglaries going on, there's nothing wrong with calling the police because you think some something suspicious might be going on. Now, if you call the cops because he's black, that's different. Uh, absolutely. And that's the mistake that he made. And whether he admits to that being a mistake or not, the dispatcher said, you don't need to do that. The cops are on their way, basically telling them, let them do their job. I don't care if he was a community crime watch person or whatever, you know, he was, we know that he was licensed to carry a gun, but the the dispatcher told him to stand down essentially. So why did he decide to, to keep, you know, pursuing this person when he was instructed not to? Please sir, yeah, and the one, yeah, yeah, and the one thing that uh, strikes me as Zimmerman was a little bit, I would say, aggressive, if you will, was when he says these assholes always get away. Like that kind of to me sets the tone of his intent. Yeah, it does. But what is he going to do? He's not going to go and take down every single person that looks suspicious in a neighborhood every time it happens. I I think, to be completely honest, and this is pure speculation on my part. I have a feeling he was probably having a pretty shitty night. We, we know that he had a restraining order from his ex-fiance, and he. we don't know the events of what led up to his state of mind at that point in time, but it could have been something that had set him off. He's in a bad mood. Oh, look, there's this kid walking down the street, looks suspicious. We've had break-ins. Hey, here's the, here's my chance to to be the uh, rent-a-cop in this situation. I don't know what the right term is there, but he, he wanted to take it matters into his own hands in a vigilante type mat- manner and it's, it's if he had any respect for the way law enforcement works and the things of how they were handled when that dispatcher told him to stand down he should have because he knew that he knew the cops were going to be there within two minutes and if yeah the police yeah. had came across Trayvon at that point like you said none of this would have happened you know we know Trayvon didn't have a weapon yeah he had some snacks from the convenience store Exactly. Now, now there's been cases where cops have shot unarmed people, and that's a whole different well, story. That's a whole different specifically thing. black people is what right. I think. You know, the issue is, and I I agree, I agree a hundred percent. And and almost every one of those cases, there's been severe injustice in those cases. I would agree with that a hundred percent. And you're starting to see it, you know, trickle down. The other thing I would say, and I want you to give your opinion after mine. What would you, if you had to give a percentage of good intentions by Zimmerman here, like of trying to legitimately just stop neighborhood burglaries from happen, I would peg his like good intentions meter on a scale of one to 10 at about a six or seven. Like, I think he was like 60%, 70% there as far as like, I'm just trying to help the neighborhood. But then there was that 30 to 40% of like, oh, now I'm going to go chase the, chase this kid down. What do you think? I'm I'm probably in that same range. 
for whatever reason, they appointed him to be the, the head of this neighborhood crime watch. So he obviously had displayed an interest in keeping that community safe at some point. And then for the most part, whoever was there to, you know, I don't know if they held a vote or it was just like a, a community meeting, they appointed him to do that. So I don't know, 50 to 60% say he thought he was doing the right thing by at, at the very least following this kid and calling 911 and, and having somebody to come out and check it out. And then that, that 30 to 40% of he wanted to take matters into his own hands. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of where I, like once he determined that, I think once he said these assholes always get away, like that's when it turned from a hundred percent good intentions to like 60% good intentions. Then he went out for conflict. Like that's where I'm at. Um, anyway, um, let's move on and we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, we'll talk as, as we get to the point of the trial and everything like that. So we'll move ahead. In June 2012, Zimmerman was sent back to jail when the prosecution alleged that he and his wife misled the court about their finances at an earlier bond hearing. Zimmerman's wife testified that they had very little money. However, they failed to reveal the $135,000 in donations that they received. Prosecutors alleged that the recorded conversations between he and his wife showed that they'd been speaking in code about their finances, referring to Peter Pan on several occasions, which was believed to be a PayPal account. Zimmerman's wife was charged with perjury, and at a second hearing, Zimmerman was re-released, and a new bond was set at $1 million. There was a brief push for Zimmerman to present his case for stand-your-ground laws. This would allow Zimmerman immunity from prosecution if he could prove from a preponderance of evidence that he acted lawfully. They eventually dropped the pursuit of this as Zimmerman's attorney, Mark O'Mara, decided that the facts don't seem to support the stand-your-ground defense. On October 19th, Judge Nelson granted the defense the ability to comb through Trayvon's school and social media records to see if they could find any violent tendencies in Trayvon's past. Trayvon's family felt this was a fishing expedition in which they were trying to assassinate Trayvon's character. Prior to the beginning of the trial, the judge ruled that Martin's records may not be used in court. Audio analysts for the 911 calls would not be allowed due to the ability to tell for sure if the analyst's techniques were reliable. During the trial, there were several witnesses and experts that were questioned. I'm not going to go into great detail on the actual trial, rather just touch on some highlights and interesting things presented. The associate medical examiner, Dr. Shiping Bao, who performed the autopsy on Trayvon Martin, testified that he didn't die immediately and that his heart was still beating after being shot and it was said that he was shot at a range of 0.4 inches to 4 feet, and that the muzzle of the gun had made loose contact with Martin's clothing. Martin was determined to be healthy prior to the shooting, being 5'11 and weighing 158 pounds. The only other injury Martin sustained was a small abrasion on his 4th and 5th left finger. Dr. Valerie Rao, a medical examiner who reviewed photos of Zimmerman's injuries, testified that his wounds were insignificant, non-life-threatening, and that his head may have only hit the concrete a single time, and the injuries were so minor they were not consistent with grave force. Anthony Gargone, a crime lab analyst, stated that he found Zimmerman's DNA on Trayvon's clothes, and Trayvon's DNA was found on Zimmerman's clothes as well. Only Zimmerman's DNA was on his gun. A neighbor, Celine Bahadorp, provided testimony that included reports of hearing an argument and seeing figures' arms flailing around. Another neighbor, Jane Serdica, heard a dominant voice and a voice that sounded angry and very agitated. She could not hear words, but saw two men on the ground. She heard a cry for help, assumed to be from Trayvon, and then heard a pop. Many other neighbors testified to very similar sounds of struggle, but no one could tell who was yelling for help and who was grunting and struggling. 
Jonathan Monello testified he was the first person to make contact with Zimmerman after the shooting. He appeared calm and was understandable. He stated that he shot Trayvon in self-defense. Rachel Jantel, known as witness number eight, was a friend of Trayvon's. She was on the phone with him during the incident with George Zimmerman. They were on the phone together when Trayvon went to the 7-Eleven. The call was disconnected and Martin later called her back. Chantel testified that during the second call, Martin said that a man was watching him, but that he did not think it was a big idea. Chantel asked Martin how the man looked, and he told her that he was a, quote, creepy ass cracker, unquote. Chantel warned Martin to walk away because, quote, it might be a rapist, unquote. Martin, she said, told her that, quote, nigga is still following me, unquote, so he was going to try to, quote, lose him, unquote, and go back home with where he was staying. As Chantel remained on the phone with Martin, he said, quote, the nigga is behind me, unquote. The man who was allegedly following him reappeared and Martin said, quote, who are you following me for, unquote. And then Jantel heard a hard breathing man say, quote, what are you doing around here? Jantel testified that she said, Trayvon, Trayvon. And she started to hear a little bit of Trayvon saying, get off, get off. Jantel then said she heard Martin's phone headset fall and Martin say, get off. The phone went dead and Jantel says she didn't speak to Martin again. Jantel also testifies she believes the screams heard on the 911 call were Martin's because Trayvon has kind of a baby voice. On cross-examination by defense attorney Don West, Jantel testified that she had lied about her reasons for not going to Martin's funeral and said the reason she didn't go was because she felt guilty and didn't want to see the body. West asked her why she didn't call police after the phone went dead. Jantel said, quote, I thought he was going to be okay because he was right by his daddy's house, unquote. West also asked her about the last thing she had heard, which was, quote, something hitting somebody, unquote. Gentil told West that, quote, Trayvon got hit, and West then asked her, you don't know that, do you? Gentil testified, no, sir. West also questioned her about the term creepy-ass cracker. West asked her, do people that you live around end with call white people creepy-ass crackers, Gentil said. Not creepy, but cracker, yeah. West then asked her if she was saying that people in her community and culture that she lives in call white people crackers. Gentil testified, quote, yes, sir. West also asked her if she thought the term was a racial comment and offensive. Gentil said she didn't believe creepy-ass cracker is a racial comment and said, no, it wasn't offensive. She also testified the reference to cracker referred to, quote, a pervert, unquote. Gentil said she never told anyone about Martin saying that term until a year after the shooting. Zimmerman's defense attorney asked her if Martin had perhaps lied to her because he did not want her to know if he decided to assault Zimmerman that night. Gentil testified, That's real retarded, sir. That's real retarded to do that, sir. Why on earth? Trayvon did not know. Unquote. I thought her testimony was pretty interesting because she was really the only one who heard anything from Trayvon's side prior to the encounter. And so I thought it was pretty interesting to hear, you know, Trayvon saying like, this dude's following me around, you know, this guy's weird. And then they get into the struggle and then his phone, you know, breaks or whatever. Yeah. And it, that that just goes back to what I was saying too. It sounded like he was concerned about why is this dude following me around? You know, he was instantly on high alert because this dude was, you know, creeping up on him in his truck at a distance, but he knew he was being followed. Yep, 100%. What did you think about the way that they were talking about Zimmerman? I didn't really think too much of it. I mean, it's 
you know, I, I don't like the terms on either side of the, the story, to be completely and totally honest. It, but it's it's a term that's used. I, I, honestly, yeah. I felt kind of weird saying it as I read it, <laughs> to be 100% completely honest. I agree. I felt the same. That's why we gave a disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah, I I don't necessarily think that it makes anybody racist, per se. You know, just because they say these things, especially with, you know, Trayvon and her talking about Zimmerman as a cracker. I mean, I don't know. They're also teenagers and you say stupid shit as a teenager. I know I said stupid shit as a teenager all the time. I, I don't I, I don't don't really put a lot of stock in anything here, but I know it it just kinda I put this in here because it kinda makes the case that both sides aren't so sweet, if you will. Yeah. It gives it a somewhat balanced to the story. I mean, in a nutshell, there there was some profiling going on both ways, right? Zimmerman was profiling Trayvon as being, you know, suspicious black teenager in a community, his hood up. There had been past burglaries. That's the profiling. A little bit of profiling back on this is, you know, this, from from what Trayvon could see, there's this, you know, what appears to be a white creepy dude following him around in a car, watching his every move. So, and like you said, teenagers say stuff. We hear about it in the media all the time. Every time we have a, it seems like over the last six months, we've had at least three or four professional athletes that the news media is going out of their way to go back and look at their Twitter profiles from when they were 14, 15 years old and some of the stupid shit they said. It happens. Mm-hmm. It's the way 100%. it is. 100% happens. You know, and that's why I wanted to give a little bit of balance there and say, you know, you know, Trayvon's language towards Zimmerman wasn't all that sweet and endearing. And, you know, his family tries to paint him as this sweetheart kid. And, you know, he may have been a really good kid and been really good with them, but he also got in trouble a few times. And, you know, he wasn't always on the up and up as people were trying to portray, but neither was Zimmerman. And so the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. That's what I'm here to say. You know, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. You have one side trying to be on the one extreme, the other on, you know, the other side being on their extreme. It's just like politics. The truth is always somewhere in the middle. The best approach is usually somewhere in the middle. And so, um, I wanted to balance that out there and just go on and say, you know, Trayvon probably isn't 100% clear of not being, you know, some kind of a, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. He's, he's probably not clear of always being 100% nice, I guess. And same for Zimmerman. Right. And, you know, I guess we'll continue on through this and then give our final thoughts here because I'm starting to head that way. So I'll continue on. The defense asked George Zimmerman's mother, Gladys, to listen to the 911 call and asked her if her son was the voice being heard screaming for help, and she said that it was him. And several other defense witnesses continued to claim the voice they heard on the recordings yelling for help was that of George. Martin's father, Tracy, was allowed to listen to the 911 call right after the events unfolded, and he gave a nonverbal indication that it was not Trayvon. Okay, now we're going to move on to more around the verdict and you know public opinion as a whole. On July 13th, 2013, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty to the charges of second-degree murder and manslaughter. The jury deliberated for 16 hours before reaching their verdict. Following the verdict, several people shared their opinions as follows. Zimmerman's father tweeted after the verdict, quote, Our whole family is relieved today. I'm proud to be an American, unquote. Zimmerman's brother told CNN's Pierce Morgan that, I don't think this is a time for high-fiving. He also told Morgan that we have all acknowledged that Martin lost his life, but it was neither an act of murder nor an act of manslaughter. 
Martin's father, Tracy Martin, tweeted after the verdict was announced, quote, Even though I'm brokenhearted, my faith is unshattered. I will always love my baby Trey. Martin's mother, Sabrina Fulton, tweeted, Lord, during my darkest hour, I lean on you. You are all that I have. At the end of the day, God is still in control. Thank you for all your prayers and support. I will love you forever, Trayvon, in the name of Jesus. President Obama said after the verdict that, quote, We are a nation of laws, and the jury has spoken. I now ask every American to respect the call for calm reflection from two parents who lost their young son. Musician Stevie Wonder told a concert audience in Canada after the verdict that he had decided until the Stand Your Ground law was abolished in Florida, he would never perform there again. Wonder also told, also told the audience that he would not perform in any state or part of the world where that law exists. According to CNN, there are currently 22 states that have a version of the Stand Your Ground law, including his home state of Michigan and current state of California. Former President Jimmy Carter said the jury made the right decision based on the evidence presented by the prosecution. Carter said, quote, It's not a moral question, it's a legal question, and the American law requires that the jury listens to the evidence presented. Basketball star Charles Barkley said that he agreed with the verdict. He added that he thought that Zimmerman was wrong to pursue and that racial profiling was involved, but he thought that Martin did, quote, flip the switch and start beating Mr. Zimmerman. He said that he was sorry Martin was killed, but looking at the evidence, he didn't think Zimmerman should go to jail for the rest of his life. For those of you who don't know or didn't assume, Craig and I are both white. A listener reached out and asked us to do this case that affected the black community in a great way. And I really wanted to find the pulse of the black community on the Trayvon Martin case now that we're several years removed. I've seen support for Trayvon shown through famous athletes down to the average African-American. The black community in support of Trayvon Martin feel that he was targeted, harassed, profiled, and murdered in cold blood while Zimmerman got to walk. I tend to lean on their side. I believe everything that they say to be 100% true. However, I don't think the prosecution had enough to, you know, actually prove that it was the case. Unfortunately, there are times when there is a great injustice and a person who is guilty, as can be, for doing wrong is innocent on a technicality. I feel that's the case here, where you have Zimmerman profiling, maybe for good reason due to activity in the neighborhood prior to the confrontation, and I'll call it what it is, the murder. However, I struggle to look at this through the lens of the trial and be able to say he's 100% guilty. Being that I don't have to make that decision and I can say what I want, I believe Zimmerman should be in jail. I don't know that he should have been given the second-degree murder charge. However, he should have at least gotten manslaughter. He put himself in that situation against the advice of the 911 operator that night. He confronted Trayvon, and I don't know what he said to him, but if I were Trayvon and some guy was following me and started yelling at me, I might punch him in the face too. Craig, what are your final thoughts? I've got a few. I'll try not to to ramble on here, but I agree with your final thought there. If somebody is following me, I'm 17, I'm just headed back to my place, and somebody's following me in a truck and then starts running me down, my initial instinct is to defend myself. And I agree. I would have hit him coming at me like that, especially if he's coming at you in a very aggressive pace and he's gonna. it looks like he's going to try to take you to the ground, right? For For no reason. Because in your mind, at that point, you're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And why is he getting ready to take me to the ground? Because, you, you know, you're just headed, like I said, you're just headed home. You just came from the convenience store. We've, we've all done it as teenagers hundreds of times. But what I really want to chime in on here is the, the mention that we were made to stand your ground. There's been other cases in the media where stand your ground was a hot topic. I think I, I won't go into great detail, but there was a case where there was an altercation at a parking lot in Florida 
and the one guy had been pushed to the ground. There was a heated exchange. This guy sitting on the ground, and the guy had it, that had attacked him is walking away, and he shoots him in the back and kills him. Yeah, I saw that. I don't think in any instance, even if you're a licensed gun owner that's that's went through certification to carry a gun, you have any right whatsoever to shoot someone unless you feel that your life is completely and totally in danger. And what I mean by that is if somebody is coming at you with something that could kill you, whether it's a knife or a gun, you have no right as a gun owner and you want to call yourself a responsible gun owner, you have no right to shoot someone that's unarmed. You can make that snap judgment call whether that person is armed and if they're attacking you pretty quickly. And I mean, this, I don't know, it, it really gets me pissed off because I am a gun owner. And it I would never think in a million years to shoot somebody unless, A, they pulled a gun on me, or B, they're on top of me getting ready to stab me in the neck. If you can't defend yeah, yourself as a man with your fist and you have to kill somebody that doesn't have a gun, in my opinion, you're not much of a man. <laughs> that's just my thought, and that's my personal opinion. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up and end on that. And so if you have any feedback for us this week, you know, don't forget, tag us on social media, hashtag Killer15, and we'll talk about the case with you. You can also hit up our Facebook page where we have a Facebook group where we can talk about this stuff. So if you enjoyed our show, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to thank you guys who have gone out and rated our show and given it a five-star review. It helps us appear quicker, higher, faster, better, whatever you want to say in the search rankings. And if you want to help us out financially and support the show, you can. You can head over to killerpod.net and check the support button there at the top of the page. Or you can hit up our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash killer podcast. Okay. And also don't forget to follow us on all the popular social media platforms. We can be found on Twitter at killer underscore podcast on Instagram at killer podcast. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash killer podcast, or you can just shoot us an email, killerpodcast at gmail.com. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Stay safe. My joke, man. My joke, man. My joke, man. Oh. Yeah. Five. Yeah, 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 Five. My joke, man. My joke, man. My joke, man. Oh. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah